It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, we actually haven't been together in quite a while. Some of you, it's been long enough. I know some of us don't really know each other. Uh, we were here in April was the last time that we were here on a Sunday morning, and I'm not sure exactly what I said, but I wasn't allowed to come back uh, until this morning. So it's, the ban has been lifted, and the suspension is reduced. So here we are. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Quick history question for you. Uh, today as we get going, just to get, just to get the juices flowing a little bit. And I want a response here. Someone needs to shout out the answer to us so that we, we're all engaged, we're all with each other. N- wrong answer. Wrong answer. In 1980, in 1980, something happened, and it happened in a town called Lake Placid, New York. All right, I'm going to give you one more clue, one more clue. It involved the Winter Olympics. That's right. What big event happened in 1980 in Lake Placid, New York, in the Winter Olympics? Someone. The Miracle on Ice, right? The Miracle on Ice. If you don't know what the Miracle on Ice is or what we're referring to, uh, what happened is in 1980, the world was a very different place. This was 37 years ago. And in 1980, if you're you know, if you're 25 or, or 18 or something like that in the room this morning, you're 15, 16, you probably don't know what life was like uh, in 1980. I know what this miracle on ice was like. I was negative two months old, <laughs> and I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, back then, back then in 1980, it's tough to, tough to imagine. Back then, there was a lot of tension between the United States and a country called Russia. All right? I know today that sounds incredibly strange, but way back then, 37 years ago, this happened that there was a lot of tension between a place called the United States, our country, and a country called Russia. In fact, Russia was part of a larger group of nations known as the Soviet Union, right? The USSR. And there was a lot of tension between the US and the Soviets. Hard to believe in this day and age that there would be tension like that between nations, but back then there was. Uh, in 1982, as well, in 1980, we had also elected a president who spent most of his life as a celebrity. So it was really different back then, <laughs> really a different time and place. And into this world, into this place, right, into this place, uh, walked a group of 20, 21-year-old hockey players. And they walked in, uh, they thought, I think, that they were walking in to be a part of a hockey team. And so they all came together, and if you know the history around the Olympics back in that day, the United States didn't use professional players in their teams back in the 80s. We do now, but we didn't back then. The Soviets, on the other hand, did use professional players. And if there was one thing that Soviets were the best at back in those days, it was the game of ice hockey. They were the best in the world. And going into the 1980 Olympics, and when the tensions were high, I would suggest even higher than they are today, In the middle of what was called the Cold War, tensions are high, the United States wouldn't have wanted anything more than to beat the Soviets at what they were best at, which was ice hockey. But here were coming these young guys, these young kids play ice hockey as amateurs at their universities, and they walk into this situation, and they cannot appreciate the grand scheme of things that they're walking into. What happens is they begin to play, is they come together and they start to say, to, they, they come with the attitude that if we just play hockey the way we always play hockey at our different schools and different universities and we just play it together, we'll be fine. Maybe we'll win a game or two. 
But their coach, Herb Brooks, understands that they're a part of something much, much bigger. And what he needs is for these young guys to understand that this isn't just about hockey. And it's not just about a game in the Olympics. It's about something much bigger. A few years ago, a movie came out called Miracle on Ice. And if you remember, if you've seen the movie, there's a scene in that movie, a scene where Coach Herb Brooks takes this young group of guys after they just play an awful game. And he takes them after that game and he keeps them in the arena and he makes them skate lines, which if you've ever had a coach make you run sprints after practice or something like that as a punishment, these guys are skating line after line after line and they do it until the lights in the arena are shut off on them. And as they're skating these lines, the coach is saying to them, what is your name? And one of the players will shout out their name and he'll say, who do you play for? And they'll shout out the university that they come from. And he makes him go again and again and again. And in fact, even his assistants start to think that he's lost his mind. And then all of a sudden, one player yells out, Mike Arruzzioni, Winthrop, Massachusetts. Leave it to the kid from Massachusetts to be smart enough to figure this out, right? And the coach says, who do you play for? And as he's breathless, Mike Arruzzioni yells out, I pray for who? What does he say? The United States of America. And Coach Herbrook says, that's all, gentlemen. And they leave. You see, the coach needed the guys to understand that this wasn't just about hockey. It wasn't just about a group of young guys coming from all their different universities to do a skill that they were good at. This was about something much bigger, much larger. If you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking through, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus' final prayer in John chapter 17. This is the last prayer Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. And Jesus, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, prays, very interestingly, for unity. That we would be one. That we would come together as his followers and that we would be one. What I want us to think about together this morning over the next few minutes is that if you and I are not careful, we are going to underestimate what Jesus is talking about. And we will end up just like those hockey players coming together, thinking that we're unified, thinking that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, while all the while we're missing the larger thing that Jesus is praying for, the larger thing that he's calling us to. And so I want us to talk a little bit this morning about what the unity is that Jesus is calling us to have. I would suggest to you that it's very different than the unity most of us pursue when it comes to being a part of church. Now, when you think about unity in general, I think all of us would agree, right? Unity is something that we're for. Unity is something that we like. It's very difficult to find somebody who's against unity, Uh, Unity is something that we like. It's something that makes us feel good. We like it when people uh, get together and hold hands and sing, we are the world. There's something about that scene, something about uh, people coming together around a good idea, around something that matters, that we like. It speaks to us. We want those sorts of things to happen. In fact, when we see disunity occurring, when we see people not getting along, something bothers us about that. 
We want people to be unified. I came across a letter this week that was written from one neighbor to another. And you know that uh, maybe one of the places where it can be very difficult to have unity is when you live next door to somebody. And this neighbor wrote this letter. He said, Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you just laughed. I could go on, but I don't hold grudges. So I am writing you this letter just to let you know that your house is on fire. You see, when we see examples of disunity or hear examples of disunity, where there's something in our souls that doesn't really like those. We don't like it when people don't get along. We want people to get along. We want people to unify and come together. There's something good about that. So I would suggest to you, as we've watched over the past few days, uh, and, and I think it's been over a week now, as we've watched people rally around the city of Houston and rally around areas of Louisiana. There's something that we all agree is good about that. We like unity. We want to see things like that happen. There's something that's good about us coming together to help those who are in need. We like that. When we fight for unity and when we go after unity, there's a couple things that are usually true about it. The first thing is that we unify around those things that we are passionate about around those things that we care about. It could be as silly as a sports team. It could be as silly as, as something, a, a team that we're passionate about. And when we go to the game or when we meet other people who care about the team we care about, there's, we're unified with them, and it, and it matters to us. Just the other night, we had our movie, outdoor movie, that the kids' ministry put on. It was great, Finding Dory, and we, we came out, we watched the movie, and a few hundred people came out and watched it with us. And my wife said to me, if you don't know me, one thing that you need to know about me is I hail from the great country of Nebraska, and uh, football matters a lot there. Okay, college football matters a lot. I love Nebraska college football. And there was a guy in the crowd on that Wednesday night, my wife Lori came up to me and he said, there's a guy over there in a Nebraska sweatshirt. That happens to me in Massachusetts, never. So I went over and I said to him, I said, are you from Nebraska? And he said, yes. I'm like, do you like the Cornhuskers? He said, yes. And there was an instant bond, an instant connection. And I'm sure last night he was as frustrated as I was watching them play terrible. That's a different story. But there's an instant connection, right? When we care about something someone else cares about. So it may, not be, it may not be a sports team, but maybe you're a music person and you find out someone else likes the same kind of music that you like and you're connected. Or maybe you're passionate about a cause. There's a certain cause that you, matters to you, that you're, you're passionate about. And so you unite with other people around the cause. We do this all the time. We find things that are important to us and matter to us. They could be as silly as music or a sports team or a hobby. They could be as serious as as Houston or ending racism or things like that, important things that we're passionate about. And so we rally around them and try to make them happen. The other thing that's true about the unity we often pursue is we pursue it because we believe that if it happens, the world will be a better place. So even with the teams we cheer for or the music we like, we embrace it and we rally around it because it makes us happier to do so. The hobbies that we like, 
We rally around those and unify with people around those because it makes us happier to do so. Builds relationships. It makes our world better to have those connections. And then the big ones. The big things we rally around. The giant causes. Helping those in need. Ending injustice. Trying to help those uh, who are hurting. We do that because we believe that if we can unify around those important things, it will make our world better and will make the world better for everybody else. In fact, here's one way you could put it. Unity is often from us and it's for us. That's how we pursue unity. Unity is from us and it's for us. We find those things that we care about. We find those things that we're passionate about and we go after those things. And if other people are passionate about those things too, we come together around those things and we pursue them together because we believe, we have a common belief that if unity is accomplished around those things, our world will be better and the world will be better for everybody else. This is how we most often pursue unity. And so what we could do is transpose that onto the prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. And we could say, okay, Jesus is praying that we would be one. What he means is Jesus wants us to be super passionate about all sorts of good things and really passionate about him so that this world becomes a better place here and now. What Jesus wants is for us to come up with, with uh, campaigns and programs and other things that we get really excited about and because we believe that they'll make life better today and tomorrow and so we get excited about those, we rally around those things, we come together and then we make this world a better place. What I want us to see this morning is that's not what Jesus prays for at all. When Jesus prays for unity, he's praying for something much bigger than just us rallying around an idea to make our world better today. And so if I, you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 17. We're going to be in verse 20. We're going to start in verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter, which is verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. We're in John chapter 17. If you look in the table of contents, John's in the New Testament. It's the fourth book down, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prays this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I 
in them. Now let me be clear. The unity that comes from us rallying around good things in order to make our world a better place is not necessarily a bad thing. For us to rally around the victims of Hurricane Harvey and to do all that we can to help and support is not a bad thing. But what Jesus reminds us here is if we're followers of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not the mission. That's not the whole mission. We want to do all we can to rally around good things to make this world a better place, but that's not the mission for which he's calling us to unite. Just as the same reason, just as in the same vein, it wasn't the mission for a bunch of 21-year-old people to come together and try to win a hockey game if they could in Lake Placid, New York. The mission was to represent the United States of America and beating the Soviets. It was a much bigger mission than hockey in the minds of those countries. Jesus has a much larger mission in mind for us when he prays for the unity, unity for you and for me. So what does that look like? Well, the first thing about the unity that Jesus prays for is the unity that Jesus prays for for you and for me. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if If you're in the room this morning and you follow Jesus, this is Jesus' prayer for you and for me. The first thing that he prays for is a unity that isn't from us. It's not a unity that we generate. It's not something that we create. It's not a a hype. It's It's not an excitement that we generate over something that's a good thing to go after. The unity that we have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, is much deeper than that. In fact, what Jesus prays for in those first two verses, in verse 20 and 21, is that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. And Jesus and the Father are not one because Jesus got really excited about who God is and decided to live for him. They are one because God has sent his Son into the world. They are one. They are both God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are one with God through Christ. Our deepest sense of identity is that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are made new in him. That's our deepest identity. That connects us in a much deeper way than anything else. Go into a church on a Sunday morning and look around the room. Look around the room this morning. What other event, what other person would bring this group together? We're all very different. Some of you are excited that the big analogy in this sermon is a sports analogy. Some of you are really turned off by that. Some of us in the room are of different ages, we're of different ethnicities, we're of different backgrounds, we're of different uh, ideas and thoughts, we have different ways of doing things, we have different hobbies, different likes, different dislikes, but we come together and are unified, not because we're all excited about the same idea, but if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, he has forgiven you as he has forgiven me, and that unites us in a deeper way than anything else could. It's not that we both like Jesus and think he's a good guy and makes the world a better place. It's that we are saved by him from our sin. 
And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what. About six weeks ago, uh, I had the privilege of performing a wedding ceremony for a couple that attends our Belmont campus. So many of you probably don't know them, but their names are Andrew and Lavinia. And they were married uh, in mid-July down in Warwick, Rhode Island, in a beautiful chapel right on the ocean. It's a Catholic chapel, and so I did the ceremony alongside a Catholic priest. About two months before the ceremony, the priest and I started to talk to one another to try and get all the plans in place, and we met together. Now listen, I know that there's a lot of uh, feelings around the Catholic Church, and, and some of you have been and gone and, and still part. I know there's all this stuff. But let me tell you something. Here's my experience with this priest. There is no doubt in my mind that this priest from Warwick, Rhode Island, who I had the chance to spend a couple of months with and have a conversation, is trusting Jesus Christ for his salvation. No doubt in my mind. So we are one in Christ. And here's what happened the wedding ceremony. I didn't know he was going to do this. We all got into the wedding ceremony. We gathered in the chapel. There was the, the, all the guests were there. And uh, we were all standing up front, and he walked around up to the altar so that he could offer the opening prayer and read scripture. Before he started the ceremony, and I didn't realize he was going to say this, he said to the people present, you may notice this morning that we have a Catholic priest and an Assemblies of God minister working together uh, to, to do the ceremony for Andrew and Lavinia. He said, I want you to know that we have spent the last couple of months together and that we are getting along swimmingly. <laughs> and then he said this. He said, let this be a picture to the fragmented and broken body of Jesus Christ, that in him we are one. Amen. Now here's the thing. We have very different perspectives on theology. There are scriptures that we interpret different ways. That priest is probably not going to come worship with us on a Sunday morning. I'm probably not on a Sunday morning going to end up in his church either. But we're one in Christ because the bond is deeper than all those things. The unity that we have as the body of Christ is not from us. It is from the one who saves us. And there is something about that, Jesus says, that helps us complete the mission to which we are called. And that mission is something much bigger than most of us tend to think or most of us tend to remember. I know I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you are too. Jesus prays that we would be one, and then at the end of verse Verse uh, 22, I'm sorry, verse 21, this is what he says. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, and here's the mission, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the mission to which we are called so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And what Jesus is saying to us and what he's praying for 
is he is praying and asking his father, Father, would you help them to embrace their identity as being one in God through me? Would you help them to embrace their identity that they now have as they trust in me and as they receive their salvation from me? Would you help them to embrace that identity so that what? So that what? So that they can be happier people? So that they can make this world a better place? So that they can make their church bigger? So that they can grow their denomination? so that the world may know that you have sent me, so that the world may know that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, the Savior of the world. And there is something Jesus says about us coming together as followers of Jesus Christ, not just in this world, not just in this room, but across the world, his followers coming together and embracing that they are one in him. There is something about that Jesus is saying in this prayer that communicates to the world that he is the savior of the world. It reminds me of what happened when the church was first formed in the book of Acts. When the believers really embraced their identity in Jesus Christ. When the believers were willing to radically live out what it meant to follow Jesus Christ, this is what it looks like. This is the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, that's the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to what happened. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus is praying to his Father in this passage. And he's saying, God, would, would you remind my followers that they are to embrace a unity, that they are to be one, and that that oneness is not from them and it's not for them either. That that oneness is not from them and it's not for them. That's the prayer that Jesus gives, makes for you and for me if you call yourself a follower of him. You see, we can make this mistake. Here's the mistake that we can make. We can think... That following Jesus Christ is about me getting excited about who he is so that we rally together around initiatives and campaigns and, and ideas in order to make this world a better place today and tomorrow. Those are not bad things, but those are not the mission. If we as a church come together, if we as a church come together and all we are about is just trying to make ourselves happy and trying to make other people happy. And all we're about is just trying to make this world a better place. We are missing the larger mission that Jesus is praying for. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those are bad things. But they're not the full mission. The mission is that the world would know that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. 
that you and I would live out our, our relationship with him in a way that we are bound together, in a way that we are living together so that the world would take notice. There's something different about these people. There's something unique about these people. These people have a hope that doesn't just last for today. They have a hope that lasts for eternity. And so I have two questions for you this morning. Thinking about the unity that Jesus prayed for, the unity that's not from us, and the unity that's not for us. Are you on board with the mission? Are you on board with the bigger picture of what this is all about? You see, if we're not careful, we can make this all about us. We can be like the hockey players that come together as individuals, and their only reason they're together is to try to do something for themselves. We can walk into a church each and every Sunday and just be there for ourselves. Listen, I go to church because it makes me feel better. I go to church because it makes my life better. I go to church because my friends are there. I go to church because I feel like there's a positive energy there and and it's just making my life better. If we're not careful, that it could turn into that. But that's not the mission. That's not what Jesus is praying for. That's not what Jesus is, is hoping that we would accomplish. That's not what Jesus is asking God the Father to make sure we remember. There is a much larger mission, a much larger perspective that you and I need to have. Just like the coach knew those players needed to have the larger picture, you and I need to always have the larger picture. That we come together as one in Christ because of who we are in him, and we do it so that others might know that there is a God who loves him, them and has provided salvation from their sins. Are you on board with that mission? Is that why you're here this morning? Is that why you're a part of this? Are we just gathering together because we just want to be happier people and we want our week to go well? Is that why we came in the room this morning? Are we just here because you know you'll leave and feel better about yourself like when you go to the gym? Is that why we're here? Jesus would tell us we are supposed to be here for something much bigger than that. It's not just about coming into the room so we feel better about ourselves. It's not just about coming into the room so that we get a positive vibe that helps carry us through the week. We are lost without Jesus Christ, and so is the world. The mission is to help others see that and know that. And there's something about you and I coming together, unified in Christ, that communicates that to them. If we come into the room just for ourselves, here's what it turns into. We walk into the room and we walk out and we say to ourselves, you know, the place is all right, but they didn't really play the songs that I like to hear uh, this morning. They didn't really, and that person that she used to talk to me, but she doesn't talk to me anymore, and that's really starting to bother me. You know, I heard that the people that used to be in our small group last year started another small group. They didn't invite us. If we're not careful, that's what church turns into. That's what it becomes. We're here for ourselves, and when it doesn't benefit us, we leave. But what Jesus is praying for is something much greater than that, that we would be one in him because there's a mission. The world needs to know that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for their sins, and there is no hope apart from him. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're part of the mission. 
Jesus doesn't pray, I pray for all the pastors and leaders that they would be able to communicate this to the world. He prays for his followers that they would come together, that's you and me, so that the world might know that Jesus is who he sent him. So are you on mission this morning? Is that why you're here? Is that why you're a part of this? Because it should be. Here's my other question for you this morning. Do you ever pray the way Jesus prayed? If you're going to model your prayers after somebody, I would suggest to you Jesus should be high on the list. Do you ever pray this prayer? I'll be real honest with you. I don't remember the last time I prayed this prayer. God, would you make us one as your followers so that the world might know that you are exactly who you said you were? God, would you make us one that the world might see that there is an eternal love that comes through Jesus Christ, eternal salvation that comes through Jesus Christ that is found nowhere else? Have you prayed that prayer? Do your prayers echo the prayer of Jesus? God, make us one. Bring us together as your followers. Remind us of the identity that we have in you so that we might be able to complete the mission that you've given to us. When's the last time your prayer echoed Jesus' prayer? I'm going to invite our, usher, or our music team to come forward as we prepare to close in music this morning. And I'm also going to invite, if you're one of the leaders, one of the elders in our church who prays for people at the end of the service, you can go ahead and, and find your place as well. And here's how we're going to close this morning. This morning, we're going to close this service, and we're going to sing a couple of songs. And as we do, this is our opportunity to come before the Lord and to ask him that he would bind us together in Christ that we might be able to accomplish the mission that he has given to us as his followers. That, he, that we would be able to come, and I would invite you this morning, I'm going to invite you as the music plays, if you want to pray this prayer, to even move out of your seat and come forward and to be at these altars and to pray this prayer this morning, God, would you make us one as your followers? so that the world might know that you are exactly who you said you were. And this morning, if you walked in and you realized that you have not been on the mission that Jesus Christ prayed you would be on, that you would come before the Lord this morning and say, God, help me to have that perspective. Help me to keep an eternal perspective in the way that I live. Help me to stay on mission. Not to make this whole thing about myself and my likes and my desires and my needs, but to stay on mission for you that the world might know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And as we close this morning, if you're here this morning and you want someone to pray with you over something, could be you walk in here with some need, a physical need, a financial need. That's why our leaders are at the front here. They want to pray with you. So let's pray together and respond. God, thank you for your love for us. You are a God that sent your son down to this world to die on the cross for our sins. God, I pray that you would forgive us because sometimes we take that great thing and we make it just about us. It becomes about our little world and just making our lives better, making our daily lives better, making our world a better place. And we forget that there is a much larger eternal mission out there that you're calling us to be a part of. So Lord, we pray together this morning, make us one that the world might know 
that you are exactly who you say you are. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.